Not Quite Right for Us by Speaking Volumes is a podcast series showcasing innovative and diverse writers from underrepresented communities reflecting on experiences of outsiderness and their defiance against it. Not Quite Right for Us is based on an anthology of the same name, which is published by Speaking Volumes and Flip Tie Publishing. In this episode, we'll hear 97% Cotton by Laniuk, This is England, but not for me, by Nazneen Khan Ostrom, and Alien by Francesca Beard. Our guide is poet, author, and community organiser Adelaide Ivanova. Poetry, art in general, offer us images of utopias, which I think can be quite helpful in also building political imagination. There is a Israeli researcher called Ariela Azulai, and she said that before someone had the idea of making a surgery, of opening someone's body with a knife and treating a disease, you first have to imagine that this is a possible solution. So I think political imagination is a key part of the process of transforming the world or transforming our immediate realities or even our relationships with ourselves or with others. So I think writing in particular, but of course art in general, can give us like tools of imagination. This episode of Not Quite Right for Us is all about today and tomorrow. The now is a really long now. It's not by chance and it's also not the fact that we're living in close to a climate catastrophe worldwide and there's so much inequality. I would say this is not something that is recent. The now is not shocking because it's all of a sudden, but it's been happening. And looking throughout the history, kind of can find hints of how we came to the place where we can be. And this is why, because we can find the answers looking throughout history, that then we can have hope again that it can be changed. I see the world right now. I look at the world and I see like very contradictory messages no, being sent to me. In one hand, we see that people say, if you work hard enough, you can also fly to the space. But in the other hand, when I look at my street, I see someone struggling with homelessness. So this is this contradictory narratives that if I would only analyze the world through the lens of what I see is happening, it's really hard to come to, a, to good conclusions. So it's not only what I see in the world, but also what has happened before I even existed, that it's important. Ninety-seven percent cotton by Lanyuk. It looks beautiful, gawks the sales assistant. I slide my lips into a routine and well-performed smile. 
Thank you, I mirror back with fake enthusiasm. Holding the loose pleats of the knee-high dress, I gently twist from side to side. Mesmerised by its soft cotton sway, it's a delicate summer dress of bright floral print, and I look cute as shit. I know it. She knows it. The whole fucking store can see I look amazing. I slide back into the stall, lock the door behind me and hold my gaze in the reflection. The cut of the fabric slides down my chest, hugs my hips and gently cascades down my thighs. I am mesmerised by me. You could be this kind of girl, I think to myself. You could be a child of summer and sun and flowers and sweetness. You could ride bikes and have picnics and be delicate on a Sunday, badass on a Monday. You can be both. But in this small chamber, cocooned in this retail conglomerate, I am haunted by ghosts. Echoes of knobbly brown knees Restrained in crisp European dresses, young prisoners to British colonialism's Christianity, I cannot unsee the mission in me. These gushing pleats bleed the tears of the parents whose children were ripped from their arms, scratching and prying at the hands of priests. I cannot unsee the mission in me. As a child, I was quiet and gentle poised and wide-eyed to my surroundings. I think young me would have loved this dress. But these qualities are not conducive to surviving ongoing invasion. These are not the traits that erected this strong spine, that carved these sharp eyes, that grew this articulate mind. The colony made my softness meek. And in this moment, I wonder who I might have been. I look into the hardened face of someone I know and yet have never met. A survivor and a resistor. A child never allowed to bloom. And I think once I knew you. Standing amongst the faded faces of our stolen children, corners singed from disregard, I unzip. Their eyes watch me removed soft cotton and fold away the tenderness stolen from us. I return the fabric to the arms of the shop attendee and politely shrug. Not for you, she overempathizes. No, I mirror. Not quite. When people come together with a name to at least, at least, interfere in the current discourse, I would say, for example, speaking volumes, comes in the landscape of literature say like hey this is what we have to bring that is different of course the work that uh, speaking volumes and other organizations do is much more than bringing visibility is also about bringing participation and bringing a disruptive debate this shift on the landscape has an enormous value because if it's not there it's not there it would be missing Two years ago, I was with my partner in Spain. We arrived first in Barcelona, and the city is very active, politically active, very leftist. You see graffiti everywhere. You see flyers announcing public meetings and public conferences. 
So for someone, if you speak Spanish or Catalan and you've just arrived, you can kind of sneak in the political life of the city super easy. It's visual, it's there, it exists. A couple of weeks later, we arrived in Malaga. We didn't see any of this. To find where the union was, was extremely hard because it was not that visual. The right-wing graffiti, they wouldn't be erased, they wouldn't be responded. There was here and there a little bit of feminist stencils, but really rare. So this discourse was not being seen and the right-wing discourse was also not being interrupted in a public space. Long story short, what does an organization like Speaking Volumes can do is exactly changing things of how they are now. This is England, but not for me, by Nazneen Khan Ostrom. I used to be a punk, or still am, if I'm going to go by the words of DJ Donlets. Once a punk, always a punk. I'm a Kenyan, Asian, British, Norwegian, Muslim, female punk. Not a very common thing to be in the 1980s, and not very common now either. My love affair with punk happened by chance. Having just moved to Norway, I was back in Guildford, where I'd had spent my childhood, visiting my best friend who had recently embraced the British youth scene. I must have been around 12 and she was 15. She played the Sex Pistols and Blondie to me in her bedroom. And she showed me photos of Nick Cave, which was with the birthday party at that time. Her hair was long and tussled. She wore a big black ballet skirt and a torn T-shirt. And her eyes were framed with green eyeshadow and black eyeliner. When I look back at her now, I think she could have been Sean's adorable girlfriend called Smelly in This Is England. I was smitten. I fell in love with the noise, the audacity, the intensity, and I loved the fashion. I loved Sid Vicious. I dreamt of being Susie Sue, the lead singer of Susie and the Banshees, and I spent hours mimicking her makeup, backcombing my slick black hair, only for it to come tumbling down despite gallons of hairspray. I adored The Clash and desperately wanted to sing in a band. I bought News Musical Express and Melody Maker. I read about all the bands, stared at the photos of all the punk idols. Music journalists like Paul Morley and Biba Kopf tremendously inspired me by their writing. But I never saw anyone who resembled me. The journalists were predominantly white, male. I visited record stores in London constantly. I was shy, I was nervous, I was flicking through the albums, looking at the bands. On the covers, I saw artists who were obviously from the Caribbean, or they were white, but no one looked like they could be of South Asian heritage. The only band I found was Alien Culture, who were emerging from the underbelly of the Rock Against Racism movement in the early 1980s. A sense of loneliness gradually took hold. Whenever we stayed in London on our frequent holidays, we basically moved to Norway physically but never mentally, I would walk up and down King's Road and stare as discreetly as I possibly could at the punks who were hanging around, spitting randomly and drinking their lager. In the early 1980s, I remember striking up a friendship with a Norwegian-British couple on the boat to Newcastle from Bergen. He was a young British punk who could have been one of the boys on the postcards people used to send back from the UK. Look at these guys with his spiked black and red hair. I would also visit Great Gear Market, 
where young designers showcased their latest creations, exhibiting rows of studded shoes or jackets, and Kensington Market, where in endless rows I would find like-minded goths who were also into the occult, vampire cults, and Hammer House of Horror movies, with irresistible Christopher Lee as Count Dracula. It wasn't easy trying to be a goth when the colour of my skin was golden and nowhere near the pale, transparent look that goths cherished. I devoured the skinny, scruffy guys with mohawks and ripped jeans and the girls with their ripped fishnet tights, long black skirts and studded bracelets. I look, I try to adopt to the total horror of my parents, a prim and proper Maggie Thatcher loving couple who dreamed of sending their daughter off to study medicine. That dream, an all too familiar straitjacket for South Asian immigrant kids, it never seems to fade to grey. In my world, the cinematic dreamscapes of Derek Jarman made much more sense. So did the urban guerrillas of the Angry Brigade and their lure of another lifestyle. Or the punks in the anarchist collective Crass. Or Poison Girls. Or Genesis P. Orridge's Industrial Sleaze. But I just couldn't see myself there. Where were the Muslim Asian girls? It didn't help that the punks I encountered in King's Road would quite often call me fucking packy. I observed some of them as they gradually became skinheads fighting for the National Front and in the process hijacked a culture which that I had become to believe was more inclusive. Some consolation came through the burgeoning two-tone and scar scene in which Jamaican kids hung out with white working-class kids from all over and started bands like the Specials. At least there was a scene where somebody mixed, but the punk movement still felt very white to me. There is an educator of, from Brazil called Paulo Freire, and he wrote this book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And one of the things he says is that education doesn't change the world. Education changes people, and people then can change the world and make the world a better place for us all to live in. I think art, you could just substitute the word education for the word art or literature or poetry, and you, it would be the same. You know, like poetry in itself won't change the world, of course, but it can change people. And therefore, we can change reality through this type of hints or inspirations or utopias. I think also feelings are very powerful. So sometimes you, it can be that you read something that really makes you feel angry or sad or energized and inspired and be like, okay, I have to do something about it or I have to read more about it or I have to write more about it. So it's already a way of participating in history. Great writing makes us feel something or makes us know about something or learn about something. And then we want to feel the call to interfere in it, whatever way. So how do the stories we hear today or don't hear influence society we become? Well, now we have massive floods, we have massive burnings, we have no water in some places because for many centuries, only one type of knowledge was considered knowledge. Now we're having to come to terms with the fact that actually there is an ancestral knowledge about planet Earth that we have to relearn. I think we're paying the price now for questioning so late the role of colonialism, letting academia just be the place where 
colonialism reproduces itself. For example, one great, great lesson of this moment is how for so long there was not an effort to bring maybe native peoples or indigenous peoples these voices as front runners of climate justice activism for academic or scientific research on that topic. So the, actually there was not considered knowledge. It was considered like, yeah, it's important uh, that they fight for land or for the right to life. But, you know, let us, the white academics, produce the knowledge. Alien by Francesca Beard. Host, the organism in or on which a parasite lives. You emerge on earth a human child. Trees rattle ancestral branches. Water otters round your trunk. Light streams colour. Amazement into wonder. You were made for each other. Elytra, first pair of wings, modified to form a hard shell. The crash of landing uproots who you are, the purpose of your mission. Colonising systems spawn in torn ground, infesting mother tongues. Boomy, ver, k, pokok, al rubbishla. The island runs out of school. You fly to England where water is frigid, learn to factor words into weapons. You're in deep cover so long, you forget you've never known why. Hyaline. Transparent. Like glass. Skin fair as peeled almond. Hair black as blood. East eye slanted, west eye round. Which is the rightest? Your face is open as the moon, common property, a mirror into which strangers stare. Nymph, sexually immature form, usually similar to the adult. Your dad, they warned us about the local girls, men who could be your dad. Where are you from? Where are you really from? You're just like a girl I met in a bar in the war in Singapore, Manila, Phuket. So young. Never guessed she was a pro. This exchange repeats until you accept it was you in that bar. We are still at war. Cryptic. Colouring and or pattern adapted for the purpose of protection. Half-breed, you've been guilo, chink-eyed, mongrel, mixed-raced, in and out of so many circles, you're fine with BAME, though you get why anyone who actually belonged wouldn't be. Inquiline. A creature that shares the home of another species without having any obvious effect. You're a pro. Keep a bag half-packed, at home from home in no one's land miscellaneous minority other, navigating the foreign familiar, sheltering anonymous under greige umbrellas. You could be anywhere, 
Not even you know who you are, where you are going. Girdle, a strand of silk used to prop up the pupa. When your daughter ticks the white box, your hand rings at your heart like Olivia de Havilland in Gone with the Wind. But why? I'm your mother. Don't leave me by myself again. You don't say that out loud. Holometabola. Complete transformation. Your genome migrates to another system coded in a body in the body of a craft. Astronauts unlatch, emerge onto pink moss, release pulsing loops of pheromones that call response from teeming ghosts which form, collapse, coalesce, unswallow this planet's sky in a breaking wave. Every atomized possible past and future you redeems a homing signal of exile and belonging. Abandonment is freedom. You've been listening to Laniuk, Nazneen Khan Ostrom, and Francesca Beard, with Adelaide Ivanova and Lucy Hanna. Music composed by Dominique Lejean. Speaking Volumes presents and promotes new and underrepresented voices to diverse audiences. The Not Quite Right For Us anthology celebrates 10 years of Speaking Volumes. It's published by Flipped Eye Publishing and it features 40 international writers. The anthology is available at all good bookshops or you can order from Flipped Eye at www.flippedeye.net. For more information about Speaking Volumes, go to www.speakingvolumes.org.uk. The Not Quite Right For Us podcast is produced by Craig Garrett and Shona Hawkes in collaboration with Speaking Volumes. In putting this episode together, we were really taken by how Leniuk introduced herself and her country. So we just wanted to share this piece of audio with you. My name's Leniuk. I'm Larakia Kungarakan Gurindji, so Larakia being the land surrounding Darwin City, which Darwin City is on, Kungarakan being the neighbouring country, and then Gurindji in the desert, and French on the other side. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow and subscribe. And if you like this episode in particular, we just ask that you share it with one friend. Take care.